Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we review the foundational people and pivotal events of the story so far. The narrative is beginning to build before the epic reveal of God's great plan. You're listening to Prism Bible. We've learned a lot so far through the foundational books for the rest of the Bible. We've met lots of people, been lots of places, and explored the beginnings of the plan of God to save a world that has gone astray. We're solidifying our foundation right now, so that as we continue through the story, we'll understand it in ways that we never have before. So let's review the basic story so far, and the people involved. We start with the first family that we meet in the Bible story. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and their three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Adam and Eve were the first humans created by God and were made in God's image and likeness. Adam was made from the dust of the ground, and then Eve was made from a rib out of Adam. God told this first couple, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Adam and Eve got to enjoy the wonderful Garden of Eden until they disobeyed the mandate. There in the garden, the man and woman failed to rule over the serpent, who began twisting words against God, saying, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Eventually, Eve took the fruit from the one forbidden tree, and she gave some to Adam, who was silent during this temptation of his wife. In this act, the first couple brought death into the world through their disobedience to God's command not to eat from that particular tree. This death would manifest in two ways. Spiritual death through separation from God and eventual physical death. Further, the effects of this death penalty would be transferred to their children who would inherit a corrupt nature and would each become sinners themselves. The first couple is exiled from the Garden of Eden to the east. Next, we met two of their children, Cain and Abel, and you'll recall that at one point they come before the Lord to sacrifice to him. Abel brings the best of his flock, called the first fruits, and sacrifices the animals to the Lord, while Cain brings a portion from the regular stock of his harvest. God prefers Abel's sacrifice to Cain's, and Cain, in jealous anger, murders his brother. Cain then becomes a picture of allowing sin to rule, and he's banished further east of Eden. Soon we saw that Adam and Eve have another son, whom they understand is a replacement for their murdered son, Abel. The new son's name is Seth, and they understand that it will be through Seth that the promised seed of the woman would come to defeat the evil serpent. So the first family was Adam and Eve, and their three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. While Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, the Bible puts a laser focus on just these three sons. Many generations later, we meet the man Noah, a descendant of Seth. Noah is probably best remembered alongside his masterpiece, the big boat called the Ark that housed his family and many animals. They took refuge in this Ark when God flooded the earth to do a reset of humanity through Noah's family. 
After the flood, Noah sacrificed to the Lord, and God responded to this faithful act by instituting the Noahic covenant. God's promise to never again flood the earth in judgment. God signified this covenant with the rainbow. Soon after this promise, however, we saw drama in Noah's family. After Noah becomes drunk on wine, which is a callback to sinning with the fruit back in the garden, we see two of his children honor him, while one dishonors him. One of Noah's sons comes in and sees his father's nakedness, and instead of covering him up, he goes and tells his brothers. This was a wicked and ungodly thing to do. Back when Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, God gave them a covering. Noah's son, instead, decides to spread the news of his father's nakedness in a shameful way. Noah's two righteous sons, however, refuse to look on their father's nakedness and cover him up instead. As a result, we see the cursing of Noah's grandson, Canaan, the son of the son who dishonored Noah. Noah said this, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. This is the first indication we get that Canaan's descendants will serve the descendants of the righteous two sons of Noah. And this becomes important as we continue in the narrative. Years after these events and after a rebellious episode in the city of Babylon, we met Abram, a descendant of one of the righteous sons of Noah. And it's to Abram that God makes some of the great promises of the Bible. Remember this from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had directed him. This is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, where Abraham is promised land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, seed and abundance, and blessing to the world through a particular seed of Abraham. One thing to note here is that we see the curse on Canaan already playing out in this promise. The land where Canaan's descendants reside is given over to the descendants of one of Noah's righteous sons. Now, in these promises, the old man Abram was promised descendants, and we soon see him trying to accomplish what was promised through his own effort. So Abram sleeps with Hagar, his wife's servant, because his wife Sarai was old and barren. Nine months later, Hagar has a son named Ishmael. Abram assumes that God will accomplish his promises through Ishmael, but God says to Abram, no, it will be through a son from his wife Sarah that God will accomplish his promises. In this scene, he renames Abram to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, to underline his promise that he made to Abraham. And so later we meet Isaac, the son of the promise, whom Sarah has when she is 90 years old and Abraham is 100 years old. God miraculously provides a son to this very old couple. A generation later, we meet Isaac's twin boys, Esau the older and Jacob the younger. Remember, God had said to their mother before they were born that two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. In their lives, we saw this begin to play out. Using deceitful methods, Jacob, the younger brother, gains the birthright and the blessing both belonging to his older brother Esau. Later, Jacob has a wrestling encounter with God who changes his name to Israel, meaning something like struggles with God. Jacob through his life has struggled for blessing 
Yet now being renamed Israel, he no longer has to struggle and deceive for blessing. Instead, he simply receives and becomes a participant in the blessing first promised to his grandfather. It would be through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that the great blessing to all the nations of the world would come. Now the man Israel has twelve sons, and we focused on one of those sons in particular who is sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt. This son, Joseph, through the gift of dream interpretation given to him by God, rises to second in command of the country of Egypt, and he saves many nations through a seven-year famine. And it's in the context of this famine that Israel's other eleven sons come to Egypt for food. Eventually the whole nation, the father Israel and the twelve sons, move to Egypt to outlast the famine. Many, many years pass, and around four hundred years later, the sons of Israel have been fruitful and multiplied to become the twelve tribes of Israel. These tribes are enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt, who doesn't know a thing about Joseph. It's in this context that God commissions Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in the great exodus from Egypt. At this commissioning, God reveals his name to Moses, Yahweh, a four-letter name often translated as, I am who I am. In this name, God is expressing his identity as the one who was, who is, who is to come the one who simply exists, the one who has always and will always exist. God's identity is the always present one who is the God of all the ages. Now armed with the name of God and a mission from him, Moses returns to Egypt to lead the people in God's deliverance of his chosen nation from their Egyptian slavery. After the awe-inspiring plagues and deliverance through the Red Sea, God continues to use Moses as his tool to reveal his law to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. This law, based on the Ten Commandments, would be the rule for the people as they dwelt in the land of Canaan, a law including moral, legal, and sacrificial principles for the nation of Israel. It's while Moses is receiving the law from God on top of Mount Sinai that his brother Aaron makes a golden calf for the people to worship. The people choose to worship a fake god over the real god who spoke to them from the mountain. However, despite this grievous sin of Aaron in making this idol for the people, we come to find out that Aaron will be the first high priest in the tabernacle tent of meeting that God commanded to be made in the law. It's Moses' brother Aaron who would be the first from the tribe of Levi who would perform the sacrifices in the tabernacle that God commanded in his law. After a long speech by Moses reminding a new generation of the law, God commissions the next leader of Israel named Joshua, who leads this next generation into the promised land of Canaan after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now within Canaan we meet Rahab, the righteous prostitute who had faith in God and risked her life to save two Israelite spies. For her faith and righteous act, she and her family are spared from the destruction of her hometown of Jericho, and soon she and her family are assimilated into Israel. Meanwhile, a disobedient man hides loot from the defeat of Jericho, and God won't allow the Israelites' victory until the man's sin has been dealt with. Through Joshua's generation, the people of Israel succeeded in the initial phase conquering the land. They dominate much of it, and before he dies, Joshua emphasizes that the tribes still have work to do. They should love God, follow the law, and take the land. And yet, within a generation, the people have disobeyed, choosing to worship the gods of the Canaanites rather than the one true God. 
As a result, God delivers them into the hand of their enemies, before having mercy on them, sending judges to deliver them in their distress. By the end of the judges' era, we see a nation in crisis. Crisis with almost no faithful leadership. Crisis not realizing full conquest of the land of Canaan. Crisis not realizing any of the blessing anticipated by God's covenant with them at Sinai. This crisis soon makes the people cry to God, not for another judge, but for a king. Join us next time as we explore the themes of the story so far, before we launch into the next era of the Bible story, the era of the kings. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.